Please would you turn to Isaiah 52, verse 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Things are bad in Zimbabwe. Just imagine, though, that uh, Joseph Kabila has decided to raise an army in the DRC. He's marched south, he's come into Zimbabwe, he's besieged Harare, he's raised it to the ground, he's plundered all our wealth, all our possessions, and now he's put people in chains and they are having to walk all the way back to Kinshasa where they're going to serve the Congolese. That's what it was like for the people of Israel. The Babylonians came and besieged their country. They, they besieged, uh, besieged Jerusalem. And what the Babylonians would do is they would take into captivity all those people that they thought would be of value to their kingdom. And then they took them back to their capital and set them to work. Isaiah is divided into three different parts. And the second part, the middle part, which is where our passage today comes from, is Isaiah starting to prophesy to the people of Israel who are in captivity in Babylon. And he starts to predict that God is going to save them. You can imagine how excited they were starting to become when they heard these prophecies that God was going to rescue them. If you look in Isaiah 52 verse 10, it says, The Lord will lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. He's starting to set the scene. He's starting to predict that God is going to rescue them. And of course, the arm of God which is going to be bared before the nations of the world is a symbol of His awesome power and His omnipotence. Just as my arm is as well. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm quite a strong fellow. So, let's read from Isaiah 52, verse 13, because now we're beginning to wonder, well, what is this salvation going to look like? What is this incredible, awesome right arm of the Lord going to look like? Is it going to be an army? Is it going to be a mighty general? Verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. In other words, behold my servant. In some translations it says, behold my servant. God is going to use a servant. The servant has come and this servant is going to bring salvation. And that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at the servant and we're going to see what relevance this servant has for us today. So verse 13 through to 53 verse uh, six, let's read it. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, this is the reason why they were appalled, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This prophecy which was written two and a half thousand years ago, what relevance does it have to us today? In biblical prophecy, the, the prophet often predicts two very similar events at the same time. And usually the first event becomes like a type or a shadow of the second event, which may occur years or centuries or even millennia later on. And this is the case here. Isaiah begins by predicting God's rescue of his people from captivity in Babylon. And then he moves on almost seamlessly to predict God's rescue of mankind from an, a similar domination, the domination of sin. And the first is largely a physical rescue. The people of Israel were rescued from Babylon. That prophecy was fulfilled. And the second is in many ways a spiritual one. And the first becomes a metaphor or a, like a simile of the second. So this prophecy does have relevance for us today. So let's move on to this behold. Let's behold three truths about the servant. First thing that we notice, behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So the first thing that we behold about the servant is that he will succeed. He will succeed by acting wisely and the fact that he is honored is a measure of his success. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Let's have a look at the nature of his success. It says he will sprinkle many nations and the kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they had not heard they will understand. Two things we notice there. He will firstly sprinkle many nations and two, silence the mouths of kings. Now of course kings stand as a representative of the nation. So not only will the kings be amazed, but so will all the people in the nations that they lead be amazed as well. And that sounds impressive, doesn't it? The idea of silencing the mouths of kings, making an impression on many different nations. But sprinkling, that doesn't sound very, very impressive. It doesn't sound very notable. Sprinkling sounds sort of easy and inconsequential. My boy, just go outside and play in the sprinkler. Go and get sprinkled. We're not very impressed with sprinkling. And that's because we don't understand the Old Testament significance of sprinkling. <coughs> In Old Testament times, people and objects were cleansed and made holy for God by sprinkling them. But they were sprinkled with blood. With blood from an animal sacrifice. Let's read from Hebrews 9 verse 19. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, wasn't inconsequential for the calves, was it? Together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. 
He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So folks, there is nothing easy and insignificant about the sprinkling that is in question. First of all, it would require death. But not just any kind of death. Notice in verse 14 that the servant will be beaten so badly that he will no longer look human. <coughs> it also will cleanse many nations, making it possible from people of every nation in the world to be forgiven their sins. But how would this sprinkling and how would this awing of the kings actually happen? It will happen as a result of a message. He will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Now he explains it. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Those phrases, what they were not told and what they've heard, they refer to a message, don't they? Some sort of message is going to come which is going to cause the kings to be in awe, which is going to cause the nations to be sprinkled, forgiven their sins. Well, what is that message? And sometimes when we look at Old Testament prophecies, we need to go to the New Testament to see how the Spirit of God revealed to the New Testament writers the meaning of those particular verses. So if we look at Romans 15, 20 to 21, Paul says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. In other words, he wanted to, to start the work from beginning to, to end. And then he says, rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. So Paul's understanding of the message was that it was the gospel, that it was the good news about Jesus. This is what was going to cause the nations to be sprinkled, to be forgiven their sins, and this is what was going to cause people to be amazed by God. So the servant's going to succeed because he will cleanse people, from all nations, and in the process, he's going to stun kings with his glory. And all of this will happen when they are told about him and are changed by the message. But notice it says there that the people who hear the message need to see and they need to understand. Notice also that there's a contrast because there are some people who are appalled by what they see, and there's just as many who see and understand. So there's a difference. How are people going to respond to this message? Some people are going to respond in such a way that they are appalled, that the, they reject the message. Then there are others that will see and understand. But what are the keys to seeing and understanding? Let's move on to the next verse, which is in Isaiah 53 verse 1. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Can you see the two keys there? We need to believe and there needs to be revelation. It needs to be established, folks, this morning that we only receive things from God on the basis of faith, on the basis of belief. But there also needs to be a revelation. We need the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to us this message so that it actually means something to us. 
And I pray that if, you, if you're listening to this message, that you would take it seriously. This is not just um, some preacher, Ian Ray, coming up with a theory that he's found in the Bible. This, this is the essence of the Christian faith that we're talking about today. And if you don't get it, if you don't get that revelation, then keep pressing on until you get that revelation from God. Because these things can be very easily overlooked. Why, why is it hard to believe this message? Why, why is revelation required? Well, it's because this servant, he doesn't look like the powerful manifestation of God's arm. He's easily overlooked. Let's read on in verse 2. When you're walking through the bush, the kind of things that you notice are big copies and impressive looking trees and perhaps bushes, but you don't notice those tiny little green shoots that are coming out of the, out of the dry ground. That's because this message is very easily overlooked. There was nothing about Jesus that would draw our attention necessarily to him. And in fact, he was despised and rejected by mankind. We were expecting to find someone who was huge and powerful, and yet we found a servant who came to suffer, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You know, people despised Jesus because he claimed to be the power of God. He claimed to be the Messiah, but he ended up beaten beyond human recognition and hanging on a cross. And so the people just laughed at him and they said, oh, you claim to be the Messiah, you claim to be the, the Savior of Israel. Look at you now. You've been beaten beyond recognition. What kind of powerful man are you? And it's the same for us, folks. The creator of the universe, he became a minute, fertilized egg in the womb of an insignificant teenage girl from an insignificant family living in an insignificant rural backwater of the Roman Empire. And is this how God bears his powerful right arm? It's like a little baby in a feeding trough, cushioned by straw. Folks, the servant, although he will succeed, and he will succeed in your life if you believe and you have this revelation, he is easily overlooked. Wait, Richard Hammond. I don't think you really want to hang on and watch that. Maybe turn over to Countryfile now. <laughs> James, would you stay with Top Gear or switch over to see Adam's farm? Well, let me everything, yes. I'd stay with Top Gear. I'd, I'd stay with Top Gear. Well, anyway, fans, then, this is now, and we must put a star in our reasonably priced car. Now, my guest, uh, my guest tonight is, is best known for dying and then coming back to life. But it's not the big Jesus. <laughs> is the man who played Sherlock Holmes. Very easy to, to mock the baby Jesus. Very easy to overlook him. Very easy to pay more attention to Sherlock Holmes who apparently died and rose from the dead. But he will succeed and we need to move on now to the third truth about the servant which is that he is the answer. He will succeed, he's easily overlooked, but he is the answer. In 1974, a man called Tom Skinner published a book, and it was entitled, If Christ is the Answer, What Are the Questions? Very clever. And so we need to find out what the question is today. What is the condition for which the servant provides the answer? And here it is. Isaiah is crystal clear. And I love the way this happens. Two and a half thousand years ago, 500 years before Jesus came, a crystal clear prophecy about him. 
He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The problem for which the sermon finds a solution is the fact that each of us has turned to go our own way. We need a little bit of backstory here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a perfect family. They have been from time immemorial, for time eternal. But then they decide to grow the family to make space in their perfect relationship, their perfect fellowship for people like you and I. And they decide to create children. Children in their own beautiful image. Enter Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve enjoyed a flawless relationship with God in an unspoiled garden. All that was required was for them to let God decide what was good for them and what was bad for them. And then they just simply had to do what was good for them and to shun what was bad for them. But Adam and Eve didn't want to let God tell them what was good and what was bad for them. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to decide for themselves what was good and what was bad. And so they rebelled by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that tree symbolized the fact that God got to decide what was right and what was wrong. And he said, you don't get to eat from that tree because I tell you what's right and wrong. You don't eat from this tree so that you can determine what is right and wrong. And before they ate from that tree, they allowed God to determine right and wrong. But by eating from it, they chose to turn their own way. They wanted to be the ultimate arbiters of what was right and wrong, not God. And that seems kind of insane, doesn't it? Because if God had created them after all, surely God would know what was good for them. And the Bible defines turning to your own way as iniquity. And you can see that in verse 6. Jesus was punished because of our iniquity, and that iniquity was that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And let's face it, folks, things don't go so well for sheep when they don't have a shepherd telling them what to do, where to go, and how to live. I, I once I went into the dining hall at university, and I saw this friend of mine sitting there. It was just after the end of the, of the holidays. He had a, a sort of a, a crestfallen look on his face. And I asked him what the problem was. He says, I've just, been, I've just spent a week working on a farm, on a sheep farm. And uh, on this particular farm, there was a, a railway line that went through the farm that had a fence on either side of the railway line to keep the sheep out of the, the railway line. But unfortunately, one of the workers left the gate open, so the sheep ended up going in and grazing on all the nice green grass along the railway line. A train came along. One sheep ran in front of the train, and you know what sheep do? When one sheep runs, the others follow, and so the whole flock ran underneath the wheels of the train, and they just got wiped out. Things do not go well for sheep when they don't have a shepherd, and that's why Isaiah chose this metaphor for us. So what was the result of this turning? Well, to be honest, once again, crystal clear, verse 4, Jesus suffered for us and he took up our pain and our suffering so the result of turning to go our own way has been pain and suffering ever since adam and eve turned to go their own world and way the world has just been simply awash with pain and suffering and yet we see from verse 5 that the service of the servant would make two things available to us 
in the midst of all of that. Peace and healing. That's what you need today. That's what we need. If you haven't come across the Lord Jesus Christ yet, if you haven't followed Him, He will bring peace and healing. When Adam and Eve turned their back on God by turning to go their own way, they, they began a rebellion against God that has persisted until this very day. And as a result, every human being is born a rebel. We are not at peace with God. We're enemies of God. How can there be peace when we are not at peace with God? We daily turn our backs against God by going our own way. And does going our own way bring us peace? Absolutely not. Why? It's because God is the only one who knows what is good for us. He created us, after all. The world is in a tragic, chaotic mess because people like you and I have turned to go our own way. And there is no peace, believe me, for the wicked. But not only do we lack peace, we also lack healing. And guys, this is not just like popping a panado to fix a headache. The Bible says that we are spiritually dead. We need healing from the fact that we are spiritually dead. And when we're in that state of spiritual death, we can't even relate to God. Just in the same way as a dead wife cannot relate to a living husband. And so this healing requires a radical raising of the dead. And that's what we need today. But you know, because mankind has been turning away from God's way ever since the beginning, sickness has entered into the world, decay has entered into the world, there's all sorts of things that have entered into the world that have brought physical pain and suffering. And the Bible tells us that what Jesus did on the cross will also bring physical healing to us, as well as spiritual healing. And we're not going to go into it today, there's, there's scriptures where we, can, where we can prove that. But we need healing, folks, and we need peace. But how do we get it? Let's have a look at, at God's answer in verse 4. Folks, I have to say today that the, the punishment for turning your own way is an appalling punishment. If you turn your back on God when you die, then he, sorry, if you turn your back on God when you die, He will turn His back on you. And you will spend an eternity separated from the presence of God. And that's fair. Because whilst you're alive on earth, you have the chance to choose. You can choose to turn your back on God, or you can choose to turn towards Him. And you know, every one of us has chosen to turn our back on God, to do things our own way. And the punishment for that is that when we die, God will turn His back on us. Unless we are prepared to believe. Unless we receive this revelation from God and avail ourselves of what the servant has to offer us. Because, you know, it just doesn't have to be this way. Our choices on earth don't need to be extended for eternity. The choice to turn away from God and to do things our own, own way. Jesus was beaten so badly that he didn't even look human. And he was punished in that way to take your place. Because every time that you choose to disobey God, you no longer look properly human. Isn't that significant? When you look at the consequences of sin around the world today, people are behaving in subhuman ways. It's awful what we see. 
And Jesus agreed to be beaten so that he wouldn't even look human to take the place for us when, so when we don't look human, when we're turning away from God. It goes on to say here that he was pierced for our transgressions, foretelling the fact that the nails would go through his hands and his feet. He was crushed for our iniquities. God turned his back on Jesus so that he would not have to turn his back on you when you turned your back on him. That's what he's chosen to do. And folks, this is the message that will sprinkle many nations. This is the message that will shut the mouths of kings. But, and this is a big but, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So what I'd like to do this morning is to give you an opportunity, if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never said, Father God, I, I'm guilty, I've done that, I've turned my back on you, I've done it many times, and because of that, you would be entirely just in, in, in taking that choice, and then when I die, saying, okay, now I turn, you get to turn your back on me. God will be perfectly justified in doing that. And that's what will happen unless we turn to Jesus. Um, and, and unless we allow him to receive the punishment which was due for us. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So I'm going to be asking um, Don if he would come up and play on the keyboard for us. Once again, we put together a, a team of people to pray. And if you would like to come forward and and believe, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then now is, now is a good time to do it. The rest of the congregation will just be praying and, uh, and listening to the, to the music. This is also a good opportunity if, if you are a believer um, and you also want some form of healing. I believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross in order to heal us spiritually so that we would be raised to new life and be able to enjoy a relationship with God. But I believe that he was also punished on the cross so that, so that our physical ailments could be healed. And so if you, if you have faith today and you want to come forward for something like that, remember we receive things on the basis of faith. Um, and coming forward to the front is a way of showing I really believe. Um, and then the third thing is that two Sundays ago, remember we, we prayed for people to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could carry out the Great Commission. And I know a number of people came forward, a lot of people came forward. And if you feel that when you came forward, you didn't, um, you want more of that clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like more, um, maybe you were a little bit disappointed. Remember I told you that God sometimes doesn't give us things just straight off. Sometimes He requires us to search for them so that when we find them, when we receive them, we value them that much more. And so, just keep coming forward. If you came forward last week and you like two weeks ago and you're like, mm, I could do with more. I was a bit disappointed. Well, then come forward again. Um, and if you, if you want to come forward for the first time for that clothing of the Holy Spirit to carry out the Great Commission to be a more effective witness to God, happy days. Come and do it. So if, the, if the, the ministry team could come forward, and then as Don continues to play, please be active, participate in this, don't leave the hall. Um, we're not going to be too long unless the Holy Spirit extends it. Um, but just spend time praying. Maybe God, one of the people that you see up here, you'll be thinking in your mind, hmm, 
and let me pray for that person. We're right where I'm sitting. I'm just going to be praying for them, interceding for them. Do that. Good, so please come forward. Um, just tell the, the people who come to you, who, who minister to you what you want, prayer for, and uh, we'll take it from you.